from the WJFF studios in Liberty, New York, this is Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. On today's show, school lunch is critical to student health and well-being, especially for low-income students that ensures that they have nutrition they need throughout the day to learn. On his latest podcast episode, Close to Home, Leif Johansson looks at school lunches. How do they all get made every day? And what regulations govern what food can be served to K-12 students? He speaks with Sullivan West Central School District Food Services Director Dara Smith for a better understanding of what happens behind the school lunch counter. And women in business. Today we're beginning a special series highlighting local women entrepreneurs seeking uh, speaking about their lives and experiences, forging a successful path in their chosen career. Today, Sandra Weiss of Organic World, the sustainable Catskills farm. Plus, a high schooler organizes a blood drive in Honesdale. First, the news. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. It's a two-person race ahead of New Hampshire's Republican primary election tomorrow. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley will try to defeat former President Donald Trump in the vote. Neither will have to face Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who withdrew from the campaign yesterday. He endorsed Trump. DeSantis announced his campaign last year on Twitter. That announcement was flawed with technical problems. NPR's Ashley Lopez says DeSantis' campaign had other issues. Notably, there was a lot of turnover in his staff, including campaign manager resets, which really did not help. And while DeSantis did poll pretty well before he got in the race, once he actually announced, he really wasn't able to translate that into support for his campaign. NPR's Ashley Lopez reporting. Donald Trump is at his defamation trial in New York City. He may testify today. The case was filed by writer E. Jean Carroll. A prior New York jury already found Trump liable for sexual assault against her and for defamation. This new case is over a different case of defamation. The jury will only determine whether and how much Trump owes Carroll in damages. Hospitals and emergency services in southern Gaza are reportedly shut down. NPR's Jeff Brumfield says there are reports of heavy fighting. For days, Israeli forces have been pushing into the city of Khan Yunus in Gaza's south. They've met resistance from Hamas militants in the area. The city is also home to many thousands of displaced Palestinians sheltering in makeshift tents. Speaking on Al Jazeera, Nabal Farsak of the Palestinian Red Crescent said its emergency services center is surrounded by fighting. Our ambulances are unable to leave the center to go to reach those uh, wounded people. In a speech yesterday, Israel's defense minister said, quote, the mushroom clouds of the tanks, of the cannons and of the Air Force jets will continue to cover the skies of the Gaza Strip until we achieve our goals. Jeff Brumfield, NPR News, Tel Aviv. Stocks are up this morning despite scrutiny of two high-profile companies. NPR's Scott Horsley reports the Dow Jones Industrial Average rose about 180 points in early trading. Stock in Archer Daniels Midland is down this morning after the agribusiness giant put its chief financial officer on leave and delayed its fourth quarter earnings report. The Securities and Exchange Commission has asked for a review of ADM's accounting practices. A safety review of Boeing jets has expanded beyond the company's 737 MAX 9 series. Federal authorities are urging airlines to check door plugs on an additional line of jets, the 737-900ER. The plugs are similar to one that blew out on an Alaska Airlines plane earlier this month. The recommended inspections would cover nearly 500 commercial jets. And Macy's is rebuffing a $5.8 billion takeover offer, saying it doesn't provide compelling value. Scott Horsley, NPR News, Washington. On Wall Street, the Dow is now up 202 points at 38,066. You're listening to NPR. Winter weather advisories are posted across the nation's midsection. They're also up for much of the Northwest. Some residents in Washington and Oregon have been without power or running water for days. Anna King with the Northwest News Network has more. John Jordan lives in Corbett, Oregon, on the cusp of the Columbia Gorge. He says there's been downed trees and power lines, impassable roads, school flooding, and the city's water system all froze up in the last several days. Jordan says many residents of Corbett have organized through Facebook and come to each other's aid, including help for his neighbor's livestock. The mule needed uh, water, so they she hauled in, you know, found a couple of big old big car car boys, and you know, brought in uh, you know enough water for the mule for two days. Generally, across the Northwest, widespread rain and wintry weather will continue throughout this upcoming week. For NPR News, I'm Anna King. 
Separately, there are ice storm warnings up for parts of Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Missouri today. The Associated Press says at least 72 people have died in weather-related incidents this month. Vice President Harris will travel to suburban Milwaukee today. She's marking the 51st anniversary of the Supreme Court's Roe decision legalizing abortion. But in 2022, the high court eliminated that right, and abortion is almost completely banned in 16 states. Harris is launching a series of speeches. She will highlight efforts to restore reproductive rights. I'm Corva Coleman, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the Doris Duke Foundation, which aims to support the well-being of people and the planet for a more creative, equitable, and sustainable future. And listeners like you who donate to this NPR station. Welcome back to Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. School lunch is critical to student health and well-being, especially for low-income students. It ensures that they have nutrition they need throughout the day to learn. Research shows that receiving free or reduced-price lunches reduces food insecurity, obesity rates, and poor health. In addition, the new school meal nutrition standards are having a positive impact on student food selection and consumption, especially for fruits and vegetables. That's according to the Food Research and Action Center. So how do all those public school meals get made every day and what regulations govern what food can and can't be served to K-12 students? On his WJFF podcast, Close to Home, Leif Johansson takes a deep dive into the institutions in upstate New York that are the foundation of our community and explore how they work and how they sometimes don't. In his latest episode, he looks at school lunches. He spoke to Sullivan West Central School District Food Services Director Dara Smith to get the inside scoop on what really happens behind the school lunch counter. For starters, I wanted to know what a day in Dara's life looks like at Sullivan West. Well, um, when I arrive, we get ready to serve breakfast right away. My office is in the elementary school building. You might hear some noise in the background because school's getting ready to dismiss now, so there's going to be some, you know, <laughs> kids screaming down the hallway, etc. But, you know, we start out our day getting ready to serve breakfast and as what we, time is that in the morning usually um staff generally arrive by 8 a.m and the the students start arriving by bus and parent drop drop offs shortly after that and um we start serve breakfast for probably about 45 minutes till around nine o'clock in the morning sometimes there's some late buses and we have to be ready for that be prepared to serve some kids that arrive late um right after that we start rolling into uh lunch preparations now, we have um, our main kitchen at the, is at the high school in Lake Huntington, and that's where our head cook is, and all the uh, major cooking is done um, in that and satellited here, uh, transported here um, via a uh, warming oven and uh, a trailer on the back of the truck. And uh, so that arrives every day, depending on what the meal is. Um, yeah, so like uh, on a very busy day, for example, um, we, we're planning on doing, you know, a hot turkey dinner. We're utilizing local foods. And so the, the hot meal will arrive, the turkey, the gravy, the mashed potatoes, and all the vegetables already cooked and ready to be served at the elementary school. And simultaneously, the staff at the high school will be serving the same meal. In addition to all the other things we offer every day, including sandwiches, there's a sandwich menu, uh, daily sandwich menu. Plus, PDJ is served every single day. Um, it's still a very top and hot item, I have to say. I, 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 I do love peanut butter and jelly myself, so I can understand why. It's, uh, you know, it's a staple of school lunch from the time I was in school, and I'm sure way before I was in school, till the present day. Peanut, peanut butter and jelly rules. So, yeah, so it's a very, very busy, very hectic operation during that time period. Um, people are, you know, especially our, our seasoned professionals, they know exactly what they have to do. It's amazing what they can accomplish in a short period of time. You know, making 100 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in addition to making the other sandwiches of the day, which range from a turkey sandwich, a ham sandwich to an Italian sub, uh, chicken tender wraps, uh, depending on the day. Um, yeah, so we're really, really busy. When I was in elementary school at Sullivan West, for whatever reason, what sticks in my mind from being in like K 
kindergarten or first grade was that there were salami sandwiches. And I thought that was the best thing on planet earth. <laughs> you know what's funny? I love the salami sandwich too. <laughs> <laughs> do they still serve them? <laughs> well, not really. I mean, we do an Italian sub, but it's made with um, a healthier version. It's made with turkey products. So it's, you know, lower end saturated fats and it's also lower in sodium content. So it's a healthier version of that. Yeah. I'm curious if these are part of any regulations that come from the state or federal government, or if, or if this is something that the school takes on as an initiative itself. Yes. Well, it is a, from the federal government, the USDA changed the meal pattern for school meals for breakfast and for lunch. So they changed the formulation of what we serve each day, depending upon the grade group of the students that we're preparing for. So, uh, for example, you know, we have to serve fruits and vegetables every single day, and a student has to take either a fruit or vegetable serving, minimum portion serving, for it to be what's called a reimbursable meal. So what that means is that school lunch programs generally survive by reimbursable meals. So we serve a meal, and at the end of the month, those meals accumulate to a total number for the month, and we bill the state for those meals served mm. and we get a reimbursement sent to us every month for those meals served. So in order for the meal to count, certain things have to happen. We have to serve and the student has to take a minimum of three items from three different component groups, one being a, a fruit or a vegetable, and they can take up to five. So they can take one item from each component group. So there's, there's meat, meat alternate group. There's the milk, there's, fruit and vegetable, and grain. So it can get a little confusing sometimes for kids and for even the adults and the seasoned professionals serving the meal because you look at an item like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, for example, the peanut butter is the meat, meat alternate, and the bread is the grain. So that's two component groups in one item or any other sandwich for that matter. So it's a, if it's a cheese sandwich, the cheese is the meat, meat alternate, and the bread is the grain group. So for everything that you're preparing, every meal, every ingredient, does all of that get reported back to New York State? Well, we have to keep, by law, production records. So basically, it's, it's a document that we say how many of each item we prepare. So if we're, for example, serving um, spaghetti and meat sauce, we'd have to say how many servings of spaghetti and meat sauce we're planning to serve how many we actually served and how many servings are left over, how many peanut butter and jelly sandwiches we're making for the day, how many we actually serve and how many are left over. So that that is a document that we keep, and it also has to match up with our electronic reporting. So, you know, basically you can't claim more than you served. Is the full cost for each meal that adheres to current USDA regulations able to be reimbursed from the state then, or, or is that just some part of the cost? Well, right now we are in a situation where we are not uh, serving free meals for every student. And we are reimbursed a certain dollar amount for a free meal, a certain dollar amount for a paid meal. So the difference would come from the student and the student's family who's paying for the, the difference between uh, the reimbursement, which isn't very much. I want to say it's like 80 or 90 cents for a paid meal that we get reimbursed and then the difference coming from the student family. A paid, a, a free meal is $4 and I think I have a note here somewhere. Last year it was $4.39. So um, I think it went up slightly, but not much. In the revenue that is brought in from students and staff and faculty who pay for breakfast and lunch each day, what share of the total costs of Sullivan West food services ends up getting covered by the revenue that is brought in because school lunches tend to be pretty cheap still. Yeah, they are pretty cheap. We try to offset costs by selling a la carte items, snacks, and it's that's also regulated as well. We have to sell snacks that are within the smart snack guidelines, which are set forth by the USDA. So those snacks that we sell have to be under 200, ca 200 calories or less. And the first ingredient of those snack items has to be a whole grain, 
uh, a fruit or a vegetable or a, a low-fat or fat-free dairy ingredient. So they, and now there's new regulations that recently came out lowering sodium content for foods and also addressing sugar, added sugar content in foods. How many individuals are typically being served breakfast and lunch each day between the two schools? Breakfast, we probably serve upwards of uh, 180 to 200 breakfasts a day between okay. both buildings. During lunch, depending what the lunch is, you know, because there's certain things that are more popular than other things. Um, depends. It could be 500 uh, lunches a day, between four and 500 lunches a day. And some days it could even be more, depending, again, what, what it is. Pizza is very popular. Pizza Friday. Um, you know, and then the other the other kid-friendly items that, you know, are in, in demand every time we offer them is, you know, chicken nuggets. Although we do a healthier version of a chicken nugget these days. And a chicken patty made with white meat and uh, whole grain coating. So, you know, they're compliant with the, the guidelines of the program. A lot of them, the companies that are manufacturing now are reducing the sodium content. So they're also um, compatible with the meal pattern. Yeah. So a lot of the manufacturers that we deal with are, are spe- you know, some of them actually specialize in school nutrition foods. That's that's makes things a lot easier, too. While staying within these nutrition guidelines from the USDA, how do you go about the process of designing a menu? And what is the actual process of, of menu development like for you and your team? I do it on a monthly basis, but I also take into consideration um, the items that I'm getting in from USDA because every year we get a certain dollar amount of commodity, USDA commodity foods that where it's called an entitlement, um, you know, say this district receives around $30,000 of USDA entitlement food. So uh, a, wide, a wide array of food items, you know, from fruits and vegetables to all kinds of proteins, you know, beef and chicken and uh, cheeses. Um, and also this is something that uh, the district orders a year in advance. So the items that we're getting in, you know, we ordered last year. So we're getting them in, you know, on a uh, biweekly basis, um, you know, canned fruits. And we also participate in what's called the Fresh Fruit and Vegetable Pilot Program um, that we can use our USDA entitlement dollars to buy fresh produce, which we've increased our the amount of entitlement we're, we're dedicating to that effort because kids love the fresh, the fresh produce, which is, that's a great, great thing. How does that work with getting fresh produce? Is it coming from local farms and whatnot? Do you have connections with different local suppliers? Yes, actually we are. We are part of the, there's a farm to school, um, local foods for school grant that we are participating in. Um, the money, the money uh, is coming from the federal government as well for that. And we're able to spend those dollars on local foods. Um, so we do have a network of um, local uh, suppliers that are dealing with local farms and gathering their products that they have on a seasonal basis and providing us a weekly price list from which we can order. So, you know, like we like to do seasonal stuff, um, you know, because number one, it's readily available and the price point is much lower than it would be any other time of the year. Like right now, potatoes, squashes, cabbage, all those types of things are readily available and the price point is, is much lower. Like also certain fruits are very popular with kids. For example, grapes and grapes are in season right now. So, you know, we're able to get them in at a lower price point than we would any other time of the year. Also, keep in mind that we have to only purchase products of the U.S. We're concentrating on buying New York State because the push for farm to school and local products. But in general, the rule of the National School Lunch Program is we have to only purchase products of the United States of America. Mm. So sometimes you can't get certain things certain time of the year uh, grown in the United States. Like, for example, watermelon. You're not going to get uh, a fresh watermelon in January grown in the United States. So some of these items, like the local items, it sounds like get ordered just a few weeks in advance while others get ordered a year in advance. Is that right? I do a weekly order for food and produce. Then there's, like I said, there's a 
there's Food Hub, the Food Hub in Sullivan County, which is run by Single Bite right now. We're working with them, and they're dealing um, with very local farmers. Mm. And then there's Hudson Harvest is another clearinghouse and source for local products. So we're dealing with them. And then our produce supplier has a lot of New York State products available, and they are concentrating because there's such a push in school nutrition to buy local. You know, we're seeing you know, through a lot of effort on everybody concerned to make that this happen and seeing the value of, you know, you know, you're buying food that has to travel across the country by the time you get it doesn't taste as good as something that, you know, traveled you know, 10 miles down the road. That's Leif Johansson from his WJFF podcast, Close to Home. Speaking to Sullivan West Central School District, Food Services Director Dara Smith about school lunches. We'll have more of that conversation after a short break. This is Radio Chatskill. I'm Amy Goodman, host of Democracy Now!, independent grassroots global news. Our reporting includes breaking daily news headlines and in-depth interviews with people on the front lines of the world's most pressing issues. People speaking for themselves, providing unique and sometimes provocative perspectives on global events. Democracy Now!, weekdays at noon, right here on Radio Catskill. I am Stephen Dubner. On the next Freakonomics Radio, you may have noticed that universities are having some trouble these days. I do think there needs to be a reckoning. But this isn't the kind of trouble you may be thinking. That paper has three experiments, and at least two different people appear to have committed fraud for at least two different studies. Why is there so much fraud in academia? It's next time on Freakonomics Radio, Tuesday at 1 p.m. on Radio Catskill. This is Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. Let's return to Leif Johansson's Close to Home podcast. In this latest episode, he is talking about school, school lunch, critical to student health. According to one estimate, using national data, receiving free or reduced price school lunches reduces food insecurity by at least 3.8%. He's speaking to Sullivan West Central School District Food Services Director Dara Smith. Have you seen a change in the share of students who are on free or reduced lunch in the last five, ten years, or, or maybe even since COVID? Um, I would say there's been an uptick in, in mm. more people applying for or receiving automatic free meals. Yeah, I would say. Dara's right. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, in the fiscal year 2022, 30.1 million students, which reflects over 60% of all public school students in the United States, received a free or reduced price lunch through the National School Lunch Program. This is a significant increase since the years before the pandemic. And, you know, you can see the trend around the county, a lot, most of the school districts in, this, in Sullivan County have CEP. And here's that's another thing. We are going to be applying for community eligibility provision, which basically makes um, meals free for all students, regardless of income. Is that a, a New York State program? Um, this is a federal program. And up until recently, you had to meet a certain criteria. You had to have a minimum of 40%, what's called direct certified matching. So you 40% of your student body would have to be certified for free meals directly through data that is comes from the state government. So basically, they would be students that are receiving some other kind of benefit like SNAP or Medicaid. So that would qualify them automatically for free meals. Now, um, they reduced the threshold from 40% to 25%. And in addition, the state of New York last year uh, dedicated, I believe it was $134 million to supplement school districts that don't meet the, the threshold to have be reimbursed 100% at free. So the districts will be made whole now, which is excellent. Previously, for example, if you didn't make 62.5% match students, your district would not be reimbursed 100% at the free meal rate. Remember I told you earlier, like the free meal is reimbursed at $4.50, say. Yeah. Um, if you didn't make that 
62.5% um, of certain percentage of your students would you'd be reimbursed at the paid rate, which is like 80 cents, which is a big difference. So this helps school districts be able to stay in the black, you know, and, you know, not have a loss because, you know, it's a struggle, especially when we had supply chain issues and things, cost of things went skyrocketing uh, every other week. Um, we would have an increase in our bid pricing. Now, that's the other thing. We, we have to do bidding on all our products. You know, we put out a formal bid, um, our, our milk and our food and our bread and everything is, is a formal bid process. And in a lot of companies, because of what was happening, they built in what's called an escalator clause. So if the market got tight and they were, it was costing them more money, they passed the cost on to us. So it was kind of crazy. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so this went up 20 cents a case. This went up, you know, every week. And, you know, it's difficult if you're, your set reimbursement doesn't change, but your costs are going up. Now, I know we're getting in the weeds here, but you heard that right. The food services team doesn't buy ingredients the way you or I would, or even in the way a lot of restaurants would. Instead, they bid on food, and they often do it in conjunction with other school districts in the area to help lower prices by ordering in bulk together from one supplier. Dara explains it like this. You basically say you're, you're interested in buying 100 cases of apple juice, for example. You would say 100 cases in six months. So they would take that, who's doing the bid, we have, use an outside service that handles our bidding, DCM Obosis, and they put that together with all the other districts that are participating in that bid. And they say, end up with, say, um, say it's a thousand cases of apple juice. So this company says, okay, well, for that volume, I could offer the cases of apple juice at this price. And that's the bid price. And so basically for the next six months, I would order apple juice at that rate. But then the next bid cycle, similarly, you put in a rec, but the prices went up. So now their bid price goes up. What do you feel that, broadly speaking, the mission of food services at Sullivan West, particularly, or, or maybe at public schools in the U.S. more broadly, is? Well, I think it goes hand in hand with uh, learning and education because, you know, you have students and we don't know, you know, what everybody's home life is like. Um, and if somebody is hungry and they, they need to eat something, otherwise they can't concentrate on what's going on in the classroom. I think it's really important that we're here for them and we provide them with a healthy uh, meal to get them through the day so that they can, um, you know, do the mission at hand of becoming educated. Um, and, you know, we take that very seriously. You know, we uh, really care about our students. Um, and we like to, you know, see their faces every morning when they come in for breakfast and we greet them with a smile and, you know, ask them how they're doing and what would you like for breakfast today? What would you like for lunch today? Um, yeah, so I think it's all part, part and parcel of of school in general. So if we could suddenly make you school food services czar and you could wave your hand and change any policy, invest whatever you wanted to in anything and no one could stop you from doing that, what would you do to be able to meet that mission even more effectively? Well, I think maybe if uh, we're required to do you know, serve this meal pattern. And I think if they were able to maybe supply more funding, you know, so that wouldn't have to be so restrictive because, you know, like today I'm, I'm dealing with, you know, planning for this uh, turkey dinner that we're, we're, we want to do. And, you know, it's a great price that we were able to receive, but still, you know, if you look at the math of it, um, the cost of the meal is really going to probably be above or right at the, the level of what our reimbursement is going to be. So, so I mean, you know, farm to school is big, but there's a little bit of a gap in, in that. So we could always use more funding. And, you know, mandates are difficult sometimes to, to meet. So more education for staff, training, I think that, you know, they do an amazing job, but the more educated they are, the better that they can serve the student body. Um, you know, I would, I would like to see that. And I mean, I think that they're on the right track with the meal pattern, 
Um, I know sometimes it's, it can be a little bit cumbersome because now they're looking at additional sugar, and I and I agree that you know added sugar can be a problem, but you know we're having a difficult time finding items that are will be compliant with the lower sodium that requirements that that we have to now deal with. So I think that you know that the understanding of the difficulties that we encounter every day is necessary as well. I don't know. I would just like to feed every kid, you know, I let, I, you know, without any question. And also I think nutrition education is really, really important because there's a lot of kids that they come in and they're not used to eating fruits and vegetables at home. It's hard for them to, you know, come in and eat it here. They're like, I don't like vegetables. That's a key part of this program. You know, they have to have a fruit or vegetable on their tray. And sometimes we're finding that, you know, kids are just like taking something because they have to take it and they're maybe not eating it. So, you know, encouraging kids and to know about, you know, how healthy, uh, healthy food is good for your body and how your body responds to it. And you learn and grow and excel more when you fuel yourself up with good food. So I think education is really important, nutrition education. Is there anything else that you would want the community to know about our food services program in the school district? Sometimes people tell me, oh, school lunch, it's it's not good. Or, And, um, you know, I think that people have uh, memories of their childhood and, and school lunch. And, you know, like you mentioned your positive memory of your salami sandwich, which you absolutely loved. And people always, you know, people talk about, you know, they joke about, you know, what is that stuff that was on the toast or whatever? You know, they like, I don't mystery meat or, you know, those kind of jokes that are common. But, you know, we actually put out a really good product every day. Um, we're proud of what we do. Um, we follow the guidelines to a T. So our meals are nutritionally sound. Um, and I don't know that people know that and how much food a, a child can take. You know, like I was mentioning, your five component items, uh, five items on, on their tray. So, for example, for, um, you know, a turkey dinner, for example, you, they can take the serving of turkey, a serving of mashed potatoes, a dinner roll, a vegetable, a fruit. So, I mean, there's a lot that goes into a meal. It's all on there. We got it going on. I think that this is one of the more illuminating conversations that I've had on this program. I cannot believe how complicated it is to run our public school food services, particularly given that folks in Dara's position need to juggle federal health regulations, district budgetary constraints, staffing shortages, multi-district food bidding, supply chain issues, and the list just keeps going. And I think that if I knew any of this when I was a student standing on the lunch line at Sullivan West, I would have looked at my tray with a whole new level of appreciation and respect for the needle that has to get threaded every single day to bring nutrition to students, faculty, and staff in our public schools. So a big thank you to Dara Smith, not only for taking the time to chat on today's episode, but for all she does for her school community as well. I'm Leif Johansson, and this is Close to Home, a podcast from WJFF Radio Catskill. Have a great week, and if you have a second, try to thank someone who's working behind the scenes to make your life better. It just might make their week a bit better, too. And you can listen to Leif's Close to Home podcast on demand on our website, wjffradio.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll take a break, and when we come back, the Honesdale High School student who's hosting a blood drive. This is Radio Chatskill. Support for Radio Catskill comes from JeffWorks Office Solutions, located right on Main Street in Jeffersonville, New York, a newly renovated pet-friendly office space that rents by the day, week, or month with hot desks, sound-insulated rooms, Wi-Fi, modern amenities, and 24-hour secure access. Online at jeffworksjville.com and from The Cooperage Project, thecooperageproject.org.
and listeners like you who donate at WJFFradio.org. You're on the go, and Radio Catskill can go with you. Listen live to Radio Catskill on your phone. Just type WJFFradio.org into your browser and listen wherever you are. Stay up to date on local news, culture, and NPR on the go on your phone with Radio Catskill. On the next Retro Cocktail Hour, we'll ride a roller coaster with Les Baxter. You'll meet the Steve and Edie of jazz. And there's mood music for tropical depression. I'm Daryl Brogdon. Join me where the music's always shaken, not stirred. The Retro Cocktail Hour. Wednesday night at 7, here on Radio Catskill. This is Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. We told you recently about the American Red Cross experiencing the lowest number of people giving blood in the last 20 years. It's what the organization says is an emergency shortage. In all, the Red Cross says that the number of people donating blood has dropped by 40% over the last two decades and that the shortage could worsen if this winter weather or seasonal respiratory illnesses like the flu or COVID-19 cause people to cancel their donation appointments. In response to this emergency, this Saturday, January 27th, Honesdale High School student and National Honor Society President Electra Cahagis is hosting a Leaders Save Lives blood drive. I spoke to Electra recently. Yes, so um, I consider community service to be a fundamental part of being a good citizen. And it's very important to me to do everything I can for my community. So having an opportunity like this was really, um, I wanted to take a hold of it and do something that would benefit the community and really anybody who is in need of blood. I know that the there has been a shortage of blood donations recently, uh, so I really thought this would be a good time uh, to reach out and hopefully help my community while also getting the community involved. Yeah, there's a national blood shortage, and so this is very timely to have this blood drive. You're calling it the Leaders Save Lives blood drive. What's the meaning behind that? Yes, so I think that it's important um, that if you have the ability to step forward in the community and do something to get everybody involved, uh, you should. And being a leader doesn't always mean, you know, being the person to instruct others to do things, but it also means taking the initiative to step forward and donate blood, donate your time, help others around you. A leader is somebody who listens to others um, and will do everything that they are asking others to do. Uh, So I'm just uh, trying to, you know, get everybody in the community motivated. And I really think that leaders do save lives, and it's about um, the donation of your time, blood, uh, anything to help your community. Where does that motivation to lead in your community come from? Well, I have always kind of really desired to help others around me, but I am involved in uh, 4-H, which is very heavily based around community service. I'm my National Honor Society president and a member of the Blood Drive Committee in my school. And I'm also a member of the Civil Air Patrol Air Force Auxiliary, and all of those groups have really helped to motivate me um, to be of assistance to those around me. And I like to think they've also opened up opportunities for me to be involved in them. You're pretty busy, too. I understand that you placed as a finalist in the annual Veterans Day Voice of Democracy writing competition. Yes. So I, um, my history teacher actually at school had told me about the opportunity, and I really wanted to take advantage of it. And it was a fantastic opportunity where I got to perform uh, an auditory version of my essay as well as submitting essay and it was really about showing appreciation for our veterans um, and what it means to be a veteran as you mentioned the civil air patrol your master sergeant is that correct or have you gotten another promotion <laughs> i am yes i'm actually a senior master sergeant congratulations and, and, thank you and then if that weren't enough on top of that were you one of wayne county dairy princesses yes this past year i was the um 2022 2020 uh, actually, wait, yeah, 2022 Wayne County Dairy Princess. What were some of the things that you did for that? 
Yes, so I really wanted to reach out to the community through that and tell people the benefits of um, dairy and actually just the benefits of local farming and just farming in general and how important our food security is to our national security. Uh, So I got to go to schools and talk to kids and really show them the benefits of farming and the dairy industry. And then I just got to go around town talking to people, uh, reach out into the community, um, and really just spread the word. You're still in school, but have you started looking ahead to what happens when you graduate from high school? Yes, I have um, been applying to colleges. I intend to be a lawyer, um, so I will be going to undergrad, and then I would be applying for law school. You're very busy and uh, very dedicated to the community. Congratulations uh, on all of your successes. And let's remind folks again about the Leaders Save Live Blood Drive. When's it happening, where, and how can folks schedule an appointment? Yes, so it is happening on Saturday, January 27th, and that is from 9.30 a.m. to 2 p.m. And it will be at the Grace Episcopal Church, um, which is on 827 Church Street, uh, Honesdale, PA. And you can either go to the American Red Cross website to sign up, uh, or you can call my number to sign up. Um, is it okay if I read that number off? Yes. Okay. Uh, 570-224-4309. Either text that number and sign up or go online. And then I understand that uh, as long as supplies last, uh, folks might get a free T-shirt, too, if they sign up. Yes. Uh, t- uh, free T-shirts will be available uh, when you donate. All right, Electric Hagas, thank you so much for talking to us about this and for your leadership and organizing this uh, Leaders Save Lives blood drive. Thank you so much. An inspiring high school student there. And again, that blood drive is this Saturday. And if you're looking for other blood drives in the area and how you can help with this national emergency of a blood shortage, go to redcrossblood.org. We'll take a break. And when we come back, our Women in Business series starts off with Sandra Weiss of Organic World U.S. This is Radio Chatsko. A healthcare forced psychologist Gloria Mark to take a closer look at how she was using her digital devices. I realized that so many of the things we do are unconscious. So I see my phone next to me and I have this automatic reaction to grab it and swipe it open. Building a healthier relationship with technology this week on Hidden Brain from NPR. Today at 1 on Radio Catskill. Hi there, this is Brian, host of The Secret Show. Friday nights at 9. I'll be playing a mix of indie, alternative, college, rock, and pop. Some new music and some old classics. That's The Secret Show, Friday nights at 9, only on Radio Catskill. Listen local. Welcome back to Radio Catskill. I'm Tim Bruno. Women in Business. Today, we're beginning a special series highlighting local women entrepreneurs speaking about their lives and experiences in foraging and forging a successful path in their chosen career. Today, we speak to Sandra Martinetto Weiss of Organic World, a sustainable Catskills farm offering holistic health coaching, cooking classes, community gardens, and farm fiestas. Good morning, Sandra. How are you? Good. Buenos dias. Buenos dias. How are you? Doing great in this uh, wonderful, magical, snowy Catskills. <laughs> <laughs> you came to the magical, snowy Catskills from Barcelona, um, and you have this farm. But I want to talk about your your path to the farm. You started out teaching um, and in, in science in New York City, and you also are you you have a degree in veterinary science. And a specialty in food technology and nutrition. And right. then, so tell us about that. How, how did that, how did that start out? Um, so that's the irony, right? Like I, uh, actually have this degree on how to make processed foods, which is what I'm completely against. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. So it all started by that you very well said, uh, coming to the United States, to New York, which is a very special, dynamic, and energetic city. Uh, completely fell in love with it, and that's where I got my master's degree in education at Queens College. 
and uh, then my New York State Science Certification for Teaching. And then that led to just this interest in, in farming and food, not the processed kind, but the more organic kind. Talk about that. How did that happen? So being in the system, I saw my students um, and how they change. Uh, I was in New York City public schools, uh, very diverse and inclusive, like neighborhoods. And uh, I saw students that were just coming from South America and at the end of the school year, those students were transformed and uh, their bodies changed. And I was like, this is no bueno. I have to do something. <laughs> so I started by doing uh, out of my own time and with my own resources, providing uh, school gardening clubs, a uh, uh, fitness classes, uh, cooking classes. It was just something that even the parents needed to and they wanted me to do. Uh, I implemented um, different programs in different schools, created community gardens, and I saw a change. And I fell in love with that dynamic till when the system was not really allowing me to do that mm -hmm. anymore. Yeah. So then I say, bye-bye, Arrivederci. <laughs> <laughs> and then also something that influenced you was something very personal, a health diagnosis that caused yes. you to focus more on food and your health. Yes. So um, the one very strong thing that triggered me being here in the Catskills was uh, me getting worse with my condition. I have some sort of autoimmune food intolerance uh, a disease, uh, which uh, I'm still trying to learn about. But the one thing that really worked for me was zero process, farm, fresh, organic. Mm -hmm. And that led to creating Organic World US, the farm and, and business. That is correct. Um, my uh, mom... Um, uh, passed away on 2014 and the little thing that I had left from my mom that's what I used to buy the land uh, here in Forestburg, New York and um, my farm is actually dedicated to my mom uh, Rosa Maria and my grandmother Rosa, my father Mario. So you come to my farm, you'll see all the roses and rosemary um, because of that. So I kind of like, it was kind of like, now I have the resources to really grow my own food and um, be able to take care of myself and take care of others. That's why the educational part comes into place. And your your mom and and maybe even your grandmother inspired these this nutritional healing, this food as healing, right? Well, my mom was very much into that, but the science behind it really came from my father, my papa, my Mario. You know, he was a chemist engineer. He actually won several awards. He was a pioneer in everything. Like we had a home in Spain where we had radiating heat. And we actually have, uh, um, we use the fireplace uh, to heat up the oil that will be into these pipes that were in the fireplace to heat up like the whole house. And that was something that way back then was not really common to do or using the ashes of the fireplace as um, nutrients for the soil. Now I'm going to all these NOFA conferences and this is like, ah, like the big thing, no, to be sustainable <laughs> right, in right. this. And, you know, that's just the way we were, just were doing you that, know, yeah. yeah, way back then. And um, my mother ancestors, they were actually farmers. We had... Uh, a lot of land in another uh, region of Spain. I'm from Barcelona, which is Catalonia. But my um, mother family, my great-great-grandparents, they were from Aragon. 
and we had land there. So I guess in my genes, yeah. I was always meant to be a, <laughs> a farmer. farmer. It's, all full, it's yeah. all coming full circle. You're back to where you where you came from. Doing that. <laughs> now, so how are you bringing these practices uh, to the community? What is it that you're you're doing and and hoping to achieve by by doing that? So I have to say thank you to Sullivan Fresh and the Conyunga Lake Farmers Market because they allowed me uh, to share my knowledge at the farmer's market. So whenever it is the farmer's market season, I have a farm stand and there I do cooking demos where they are free and uh, I'm able to share my family recipes, which people can not only learn to make, but also they can taste them. Saborear Barcelona. <laughs> but also I sell my foods. And uh, my goal has always been to sell foods that are farm, fresh, seasonal, local, organic, not from, you know, for my, from my farm. And whatever I cannot grow at my farm, uh, I gather from local farmers, friends of ours that we, you know, collaborate with. So you you have uh, special your event services. You have food services. Are you still working with children? I are, do you still yeah. offer something for kids? Yeah. So I do cooking classes. My classes are privately booked. Like if there are any uh, groups that want a class, let's say there is a group of kids that want to have a a, a summer camp or anything like that, <laughs> I can totally offer that. I customize my services. I can have those taking place at my, uh, taking place at my farm, or I can go to the location wherever they want the classes to happen. My forte obviously is paella, right? <laughs> I'm famous for the paella fiestas, you know, tapas, but I also have like kombucha. I also do like gardening classes, which lead to, you know, teaching you how to grow something and then how to cook it. And about obviously my forte, which is the biochemistry and the nutritional health value of what you're eating to really nurture your body and heal yourself like me. My my food is my medicine, truly. And are you teaching at SUNY Sullivan? Yes, <laughs> yes. I love teaching. And um, um, I went to SUNY Sullivan just to check out their beautiful, amazing community garden and farm. I fell madly in love with it. I'm like, I have to work here. <laughs> so I just introduce myself and you know i feel very thankful i work there and it's i've been working there since uh teaching biology nutrition nutrition uh, food ethics and i do the forensic science labs and another thing you're doing are these farm fiestas monthly themed fiestas yes. uh you want to bring people together talk a little bit about how that idea came about Yes. So I love dancing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it came to my attention that there is not so much dancing in the Catskills. We have great food, great breweries, wineries. Uh, we have live bands, but I want to dance. Me gusta bailar. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, you know, I was having kind of a hard time find a place a place where you know a woman like me i am married i'm not going dancing to literally find anything i just want to dance in a safe environment make friends mingle and uh i'm like maybe i have to do something and um uh, sure enough uh thanks to the chamber of commerce the sullivan county chamber of commerce uh, they recommended me uh, Justice Mass from Prestige Productions. And it was love at the first sight. It's the best DJ ever. Um, previously to actually uh, having my farm, I had another company in New York City. And I was very well known about my events and my fiestas. And uh, he was it. He's a really uh, good uh, person to work with. Um, and then the 
Sullivan uh, County Visitors Association uh, suggested me venues. Um, I actually, my very first fiesta was actually a Santorini mixed grill, which is a beautiful, amazing uh, Greek restaurant on Conianga Lake. Everyone has to go try it. Um, and now my upcoming fiesta it's is, Saturday, uh, right? yeah, yeah, it's actually the second one that we do at the Bridge and Tunnel Brewery in Liberty. Um, the Visitors Association recommended me to work with this venue. They were telling me how amazing Rich, the owner, is, and he is, and we are very happy to work with them. And we're looking for more venues. So if anyone has a venue and you guys want to party, <laughs> you're going to have a good fiesta and dancing, please Contact me. We are looking forward to collaborate with anyone that wants to have a good time. <laughs> and, uh, the, you know, the, the farm is dedicated, as you mentioned earlier, to your mom, Rosa Maria, your father, Mario, and your grandmother, Rosa. How, what would they think about this farm that you've created after, you know, if they got to see all of it? I hope that they are proud of me. Um, I'm getting a little bit emotional uh, right yeah. now. Um, um I uh miss them dearly and um you know I just hope that everyone can enjoy the wonders and uh, of the farm and their knowledge. And it's that's why I also want to share that with anyone in Sullivan County that has a non-for-profit and is to raise funds for a good cause um, that is aligned with uh, my beliefs, please get in touch with me because I will be very, very happy to share what we have. And you can uh, get more information about uh, Sandra and her farm and her farm fiestas at uh, organicworldus.com. And we should note that you, you named your farm Spring Farm because that's where happiness blooms every day. Thank you. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and I'm very thankful that you guys are allowing me to share my experience. I hope that inspires others. And, um, you know, hopefully you get to taste Barcelona <laughs> at the farmer's market. Uh, if anyone wants to taste Barcelona, my Commercial Kitchen is open all year round. They can contact me. We do individualized foods for anyone that wants them. Our prices are very reasonable. That was one of my main uh, goals. You know, it's from five, ten, fifteen dollars. You know, and so on. And hopefully, we get to all have a good time. Well, thank you for bringing some uh, Barcelona sunshine into our, our Monday in the, in the winter in the Catskills. We've been speaking to uh, Sandra Martinetto Weiss of Organic World, the Sustainable Catskills Farm. Organic with, World U.S. Yes, offering because holistic... Because if you don't say the U.S., you go somewhere else. <laughs> they're offering holistic coaching, cooking classes, community gardens, and farm fiestas. Thank you, Sandra. Have a great thank day. Thank you. That's all for this edition of Radio Chat Skill. You can hear this episode uh, and other episodes, our podcast, and all of our locally produced programming at our website, wjffradio.org. And tomorrow, our Women in Business series uh, continues. We'll be speaking to Misty Hackworth of The Junction, the restaurant in Roscoe. I'm Tim Bruno. Thanks for listening. Support for Radio Cat Skill comes from Farm Arts Collective. Located on Willow Wisp Organic Farm in Damascus, Pennsylvania. Farm Arts Collective's programs intersect the practices of farming, performance, food, and ecology. FarmArtsCollective.org From The Community Foundation of Orange and Sullivan A publicly supported philanthropic institution CFOSNY.org And from listeners like you who donate at WJFFRadio.org Voters in New Hampshire are gearing up to cast their primary votes. Democrats will not see the incumbent, President Biden, on their ballot. What does it all mean for the 2024 race? I'm Asma Khalid. Join me and Ari Shapiro tomorrow for live special coverage of the New Hampshire Democratic and Republican primaries from NPR News. Election 2024. Get closer to the issues. Get closer to your vote. Tomorrow night at 7. 
on Radio Catskill, your NPR station. On Point is next, followed by Democracy Now! Today's weather, not as cold, sun and clouds, high 34. Tonight's snow, sleet and, uh, sorry, tomorrow, snow, sleet and freezing rain with little or no accumulation, mixing with rain later in the day and a high of 34. WJFF. Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello, streaming live at WJFFradio.org. You're listening to Radio Catskill. It's 11 o'clock.